All right, everybody. Good morning to you. I tell you, God is so good. I'm so glad that you are here. And those of you that are uh, streaming with us online, welcome to Christian Life. We're glad that you're here. Let's welcome everybody that's online. Guys, if you would. I believe today is going to be a very important day for many of us. Uh, Just in the next 25 or 30 minutes, I believe that there is a prophetic word that God wants to speak. Um, I think it began last week. There's some things that I believe that the Lord is wanting to say to you individually and to us collectively um, that if you'll hear with your spirit, I think it will, you'll see some transformation. I think it will also give you um, hope for your family and um, faith for you to believe for even more to come to your family. Last week I began uh, teaching through Exodus chapter 34 where God disclosed his name. If you just remember, I know many of you do, God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush gave him the call of God to go and tell Pharaoh in Egypt to release the Jewish nation that had been in slavery for 400 years. And Moses was timid, he was confused, and he said, and who am I going to tell you, who am I going to say sent me? And he said, tell them I am sent you. This was this revelation of the I am God. I've always been, you know, God lives in, God God is eternal. He lives in this ever-present now, and that's his name, I am. His name also reveals his nature. It's very important for us to understand this because God, when God reveals his name, he's also revealing his nature. And so, and then he amplified it. He said, tell them, Yahweh, who is the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Tell them I've sent you. So you know the story, right? There was the plagues, they crossed the Red Sea, they go to the wilderness, the nation is out. God calls Moses up to the mountain. He's going to give him the Ten Commandments, all of the law. He goes up there. God writes with his finger on the tablets of stone. But it took a while. Moses was with God up on the mountain for quite some time. And then God's like, oh, dude, you're going to I don't know, that sounds disrespectful. I don't know if God uses dude, but I do. So it's like, (laughs) he speaks to me that way. It's like, you need to get down because they're dancing around an idol. They had built a golden calf that resembled a god that they would have been worshiping in Egypt. And they thought that Moses was dead, so they made, they created a god for themselves. Moses got so mad, he came down the mountain. You remember this? He threw down the stones and he broke them. And then there was an outpouring of judgment and God was ready to say, well, these people are stiff-necked. Maybe I'll start with another people. But Moses, he stood in the gap and said, God, don't give up on us. And so God said, okay, I won't. And he called him back up to the mountain a second time. And this time when he went back up on the mountain, uh, Moses says, I've, I've seen your power. I see all these things about you, but I want to know, I, I want to know your name, I want, I, and I want to see your face. And it's here where God says, you can't, you can't see my face. The glory is too powerful that you physically would die. It's pretty powerful, really, when you think about it. 
He said, but I'm going to pass by you. And when I pass by, I'll show you some of my glory, and I will declare my name. And he did. And this is Exodus chapter 34. This is the God of second chances. Anybody glad that God is the God of second chances? I don't know if you've ever made some spiritual authority so mad that they want to break tablets of stone because of your behavior, but I probably have. And uh, there's been times whenever I thought, well, what is God going to do to me now? And, but God is a God of second chances. We ought to just give him praise for that again. He's the God of second chances. <laughs> and the God of second chances has a deeper revelation for you. If you won't quit on God, he won't quit on you. I said, if you don't quit on God, he will never quit on you. And there's always more waiting for you to discover when it comes to the goodness of God. And so this is the second chance, and God lets his glory, and God speaks to him. He calls out his name. He says, I am Yahweh, Yahweh. This is Exodus 34, verse 5 through 8. And he proclaims his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, rich in faithful love and truth. This is such a powerful revelation that it became ingrained in the, in the, in the heart, on the hearts of God's people. In fact, you, you hear this refrain, these words, this description of God over and over in many places in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms everywhere. It's because this revelation, it was passed down from generation to generation, because this is God speaking. So It's so powerful. I am Yahweh, Yahweh. This is God's sacred name. This is not a generic name. This is God's covenant name. I am Yahweh. I'm a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, rich in faithful love and truth. Last week, I'm just going to put this on a screen here, because some of you were not here last week, and it might invite you to go back. Uh, and, and watch last week's message where we talked about God's covenant name being Yahweh and that the I am God is compassionate. It means he's tenderhearted. It, that word means like a mother toward a child, tenderhearted. He said, I am the I am God, I'm gracious. We said that God shows favor to those who love him even when it's unexpected and undeserved. That's what that means. God's like, I'm, I, I give favor to those who don't deserve it. And I show up in their lives when it's unexpected. Uh, somebody ought to give me a big amen for that too, because you've seen God do that on your behalf. I'm slow to anger. Remember we said that God literally, that means that God is long of nose, that that he doesn't flare his nostrils in anger. He does get red, red face. He knows how to take a long, deep breath. God is long-suffering. He's not, he's not quickly angry and mad at you. He says, I am the faithful God. This is the word hesed. This is his hesed love. This is an he incredible Hebrew word that means so much. It means so much. It's so full that the English translators can't even translate it with the same word. So in some translations, they translate hased as loyal love, some steadfast love, some faithful love. I mean, it, 
it's it just all through the Bible, all these different translators, because it has to do with a committed eternal love that God has shown you. And it says that God says, I'm committed to that for you. Not just for the life, a lifetime, but for all eternity. It's steadfast. Everybody say steadfast. And it's new every morning because it never ends. That's God's hased. And he said, and, and I am tr- full of truth. This is a word that gives the image of a rock. God's saying, and I am, what I say can be trusted. You can put your weight on it. It's not, I, there's no, nothing shifting in my nature. This is my name. My name reveals my nature. My nature shows you my character, and you can trust on that. You can build a life around that. This is powerful, everybody. And today I want to focus on verse 7, and I want you uh, to see there are three really big statements in verse 7 of this passage. And verse 7, I want, I want you to see it in the New Living Translation. And so, if you put verse 7 up there for me, would you? This is what God says, I am the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, rich in faithful love and truth. And look what it says. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Now, I want, I want you to see this. I lavish hased to a thousand generations. So there's a word again, that Hebrew word again is showing up in the New Living Translation. It's translated as unfailing love, his loyal love. I lavish it. And I want you to see that what God is saying is that I gu- I'm guarding. In, in the translation I'm using here, when I was studying, it says, I maintain faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. And then he also says, but I'll not leave the guilty unpunished because consequences will show up up to the children and the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generation. I want it—it's very important for us to understand what God is saying, because He's revealing His character, and this gets a, a lot of people confused. You mean that I'm being punished for my father's sins or my grandfather's sins? How about we just break this down here today, and you put on your thinking cap, listen in your spirit, and let me see if I can teach us a little bit what the Scripture is saying, because God is still self disclosing. And the first thing I want you to, I want to deal with is this statement that I am lavishing my love to a thousand generations. Again, I want you to see that God is love and He guards His love, not just to you, but to your children and your children's children. I want you to hear this, everybody, today. This is what I want you to be encouraged about, is that God is a God of generations. Yahweh is the God that loves to work in families, along bloodlines. This is the most amazing thing about God. In Lamentations chapter 2, verse 22 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and His faithfulness is great. And I want you to see that this steadfast love means that God works to guard it. And I'm, 
I'm not sure that we have an adequate revelation and understanding of God's said of his covenant love for us. And I'm saying this to you, if you can hear this in your spirit and you can grasp by faith how powerful and committed God is to loving you and your offspring, your bloodline, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, then you will be amazed, I think, and you'll decide, I think I'm just going to stay with Team God because I need him in my life and my family needs the Lord. Does anybody think that your family needs you in the Lord? Yes. So I just want you to see that a generation, some people say a generation is 25 years. In the Scripture, it looks more like it's 40 years. A thousand generations, somebody do math for me here, a thousand generations, that's a lot of generations. That's a lot of years. I, I, I'm not great with a calculator, but I think it's like 40,000. That's a long time. In other words, what God is saying is that when I start something in your family, I may have already begun it. You might be the product of what God already started maybe a thousand years ago, or maybe you're the first. Maybe you're the trailblazer. Maybe you're the game changer. Maybe you are the legacy starter. And God says, I want you and your family, and I'm committed to demonstrating my love through your family. God just does this. He works through families. Yahweh moves through generational family lines. He said when he's revealing himself, I am the God who lavishes love to a thousand generations. Let me just give you some evidence of this. When God spoke to Moses, we just said, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a grandfather, a son, and a son. Um, Before Abraham had a relationship with God, before he was even born, God demonstrated this to Noah. Noah lived in this incredibly wicked world, right? And God's like, you know, everybody has turned away from me except one, one righteous man named Noah. And so God said, I'm not going to destroy you, but I'm going to judge the earth. So you build a boat. So Noah, a hundred plus years, works on a boat and he preaches righteousness. Nobody comes to repentance. In fact, they all just insult and ridicule him the whole time. Nobody turns around. And then God shuts the door of the ark. Well, first he says, Noah, get your wife, your three sons, and thank God, he said, and get their wives too. Get your whole family in and put them in the ark. Now, his kids weren't the greatest kids. But because Noah was righteous and God said, I'm committed to the family, he put them in the boat and he shut the door. And when the rains came, that family was spared. It just goes on and on all through the Scripture. Lot. He was Abraham's nephew, and he found himself in the twin cities, the wicked twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And his children weren't really great kids. They were infected with the, with the disease of that day, with all kinds of sexual perversion. But because Lot was found faithful, when God rained down fire, his, his children were spared. I'm just, is anybody listening to me? I want you to get this. Aaron's family became priests and Levites. David's family became rulers. Hello, everybody. John the Baptist, New Testament, was the cousin of Jesus. When Jesus called disciples, Peter and Andrew were brothers. So was James and John. God loves working with households. He loves families. He's a, he, will, he will lavish his love on generations 
of generations of your family line. The Philippian jailer was about to kill himself. Paul said, don't you dare kill yourself. Just believe on Jesus and you and your household will be saved. And they baptized the entire household that night. They all got saved that night. God is saying, I am Yahweh. I am compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, and I am lavishing my love for up to a thousand generations of those, to those who love me. I don't know if you're hearing anything today, but this is what I want you to hear. I want you to claim this promise. If God says, this is who I am and this is what I do, then you ought to claim this promise. You say, my kids are wayward. My, I don't know about my grandkids. They don't even believe in God. You know, you know what? I, I, I don't know. You know, you, you may come from a long line of heathens and hate atheists and God-haters. You know what you need? You need to be, you need the lavishing love of God. You need, it's the love of God that brings us to repentance. We want to preach judgment. We want to attack our generation. And what your kids need more than anything else is not you preaching to them one more time. What they need is by the Spirit for them to have a revelation of how great and powerful and deep and wonderful and good God is. And you ought to claim this promise and say, every morning when you wake up, you ought to be praying, God, lavish your love on Johnny. Lavish your love on Alice. God, lavish your love today on my grandkids, on my great-grandkids, on my great-great-grandkids that are coming. God, lavish your love on them to a thousand generations. We are always thinking about how God levels judgment on people. In fact, we, we're so impacted by the fear of judgment that we don't even know how to understand how important how, and how wonderful it is to experience God's love. Glory to God. I just believe that you ought to get a revelation of this. And if God says, I will maintain my love through a thousand generations, I will guard it, then your prayer ought to be, God, do it. Guard it. Grow it. Maintain it. Yahweh is the God of generations and within my family. I mean, I mean, think about this, everybody. Maybe what you are experiencing today, the goodness of God, the revelation that you have, maybe you don't even know, but could it be three, four, ten generations previous? Maybe you had a great, 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 great grandmother that was desperate for God and got on her face and she experienced the love of God and it was then God entered into your family line. We ought to thank God for that because he's the God of our ancestors, everybody. And this is why your relationship with God right now matters. It matters down the line. You might not think it does, and you might think, well, I'm not the best Christian in the whole world. I don't think God is ever asking for perfection from you. He just wants you to love him because he will be faithful to a thousand generations of those who love him and live by his commandments. Let me give you the second part of this. He says, I'm Yahweh, and I lavish my love on a thousand generations 
forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. That's very interesting. He uses three words. And in the Hebrew mind, this was pretty common. All throughout the Hebrew writings, you'll see that a lot of times wrongdoing was um, identified in these three ways. Iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Sometimes the English translations translate the words a little bit different. Sometimes rebellion is translated transgression. But iniquity is almost always is iniquity. And I want to just ta- I want to show you what God, how good God is, because because God is saying there's not there's not a thing in your life that I don't want to forgive. God 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 is not thrilled to be a grudge holder. He wants to be a forgiver of people, and so God is a forgiving God. He He's always looking. Everybody, please, I want God is self-disclosing. I am the God that lavished my hased on a thousand generations, and I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. He's always looking for opportunities to be reconciling and redemptive. That's what God is doing. He doesn't want to hold grudges. He, he doesn't want to be mad at you. He wants to forgive you. He wants he, he wants to carry away the heavy burden of your sin. In fact, the Hebrew word here that's translated, it literally means to carry something off away. This, this is what Jesus did when he took your sins upon his body on the tree. He carried away all of your sins, and he set you free. Iniquity, what is that word? You could define iniquity as our tendencies towards specific sins. It's like our predisposed nature. Not everybody is the same. Just like God's love is lavished upon generations and they pass down, the goodness of God passes down from one generation to the next through the grace of God. Sometimes the tendencies towards wickedness, they operate in households or family lines also. And I don't know if you ever realize this, but if, if you ever get a chance to do some family mapping and you want to see what really, how your family really re- responds, you could just create a family tree and just take a look at your, your grandmother and your grandfather on both sides or your great-grandmother and great-grandfather and, and how did they live their life? What was their lives like? And a lot of times you'll find that there's this familiar sin like alcoholism or addiction or maybe uh, adultery runs rampant there or divorce or something like that or some kind of anger issue and abuse. You know, you, you know, we used to say all the time, well, that's just the Irish in me. Um, no, that's the iniquity operating in you. And Psalm 51 is a glorious psalm where David is repenting for his sin with Bathsheba. And he says to God, I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, when I was, when I was born, what was in my mother, it, 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 there's some of that was in me. It's my in, iniquity. These are predisposed sins that sometimes we're like, why do I keep doing this? I can't seem to overcome this. If you could identify this is the devil trying to exploit weaknesses in your well, in your heritage, and that curse can be broken by the power of Jesus and the, and the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's another sermon for another day. The other, the other sin that, or wrongdoing is rebellion. 
Now, rebellion is premeditated acts of wrongdoing. And some of you are like, well, would God really forgive premeditated sin? Uh, if there's genuine repentance, we see God forgiving premeditated sin all through the Word of God. Hello, everybody. I mean, we talked about David and Bathsheba. David sinned with Bathsheba. He, David took another man's wife, covered it up, had her husband killed. And when Nathan confronted him, this was a premeditated sin, and then God forgave him. And there were consequences to that sin, but God forgave them. Premeditated acts of wrongdoing. Then, then the word sin is used here, and it's just this broad category. If, if there's anything that's outside of iniquity or premeditated uh, sin, then it's covered because God says, I just am a forgiving God, and I want to forgive all of your wrongdoing. I want to make all of that go away. I want to carry it away from you so that you can be right with me. Somebody ought to say thank you that Yahweh is a God who forgives. And it says that he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. I think it's important for us to talk about this. And send, I mean, it would be real easy for me to have just glossed over this. And we could have just read, you know, verse 6 and half of, uh, half of verse 7 and not dealt with this because this seems like it's contradictory to what God is saying about himself. But it's not contradictory. I want, I want you to get a good perspective on this because God is loving and he is incredibly, amazingly committed to love, loving his creation, loving even his rebellious sons and daughters. But he is also just. And so I want you to see that there are there are, there are times that in our life that, that we can be forgiven, but there are consequences to our actions that show up. They manifest. And I want, I want you to see that this seems harsh, but how would it be if we lived in a world where there was no consequence for any wrongdoing? This is the progressive woke crowd right now. This is their agenda is to shirk away or, or dismiss any consequences for any decision that they make. Well, what kind of world is, would that be? Hello, everybody. What kind of world would there be if there were, never, there, were, there were never a consequence for wrongdoing? And if anybody, everybody just did what they felt was right in their own heart, then what kind of world would that be? We could say it's like God loves us so much that he holds us as humans accountable for wrongdoing, for wrong action. It's, when you think about it, it's like a parent. What, what kind of parent would you be if you just let your kids act any way they want to and never have any consequences for bad action? You know, those little stinkers, they got, they got something down inside of them that they, 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 it, it, it takes them self. They go selfish. And, they, and, they, and they'll destroy themselves. Hello, mamas and daddies, grandma and grandpas? If, if there are... If, this is the key to good parenting is understanding how to enact good consequences for good behavior and bad consequences for bad behavior. It's not that complicated, everybody. There are consequences to decisions that we make. And God is saying that I, I'm lavishing my love, but 
I'm not going to excuse wrongdoing. I can't excuse the guilty because there's a, there's a safety mechanism for what he's created and that God does allow consequences to come. So God loves us too much to let us sin, sin successfully and pass on our sin from generation to generation. He loves you too much for that to happen. So the consequences, the reality that there are consequences is meant to provoke us in two areas, two ways to respond. Number one is to respond with praise, which we can thank God that he sees the wicked and he's not nervous and we don't have to take vengeance in our own hands, that God knows how to handle wrongdoers and wrongdoing. And we can trust in that, that God is in charge. So we can praise him. And then fear. This is the fear of God. Help me never to become so entitled and self-indulgent with God's love that I act in presumptuousness that I can behave any way I want to because of God's lavish love. Okay? Is everybody still with me? So I just want you to see this. Now, the big question is, um, does God punish people for their parents' sins? And I want to deal with that and make sure that we understand how to interpret Scripture and what is actually being said. But I want you to, I don't know, I just felt impressed when I was driving here that some of you might be dealing with, some, with someone who has been treating you with contempt or you are dealing with some wrongdoing. It might be on the job or in your family and what is and what should you do about it? And I was reminded that years ago when I first went into ministry after graduating from Bible college, I was just a, a, a youngster at 21 years old and my first job was a youth pastoring job in Denver, Colorado. I married uh, my first wife, Sandy, as most of you know my story. Carrie is my second wife. My first wife passed away in an automobile accident. But way back before I met Carrie, I took a job uh, in a church to be a youth pastor in Denver, Colorado. And I showed up on the job site. We, we honeymooned on the way there. And we got to our job. And I'm like, this is going to be wonderful. When I graduated from college, my family didn't, was not very wealthy. They, we kind of struggled with poverty. And my grandmother on my dad's side saved her pennies and uh, scrap, uh, scrimped and saved enough money to buy me and my wife for a wedding party a set of tires. Now, if I told Carrie our anniversary is coming on September 21st and I'm going to buy you a set of tires, <laughs> that would not go over very good. But when you are newly married and your tires are bald and you're a poor college student and you got to go from Louisiana to Denver, Colorado, I was so thrilled to have tires. And so we got brand new tires, rims on my, on my car. We drive into Denver, Colorado, and I, I go that day and meet with the pastor. I met the youth group. My first night in an apartment complex, this is in Arvada, um, which is a suburb of, uh, in Denver, and, we, and, we, and we're so happy. We're in ministry, graduated. I got new tires. And the next morning, we woke up, and it was time for me to go to the office. And I looked out the window into the parking lot where my car was at. And my car was, 
was wobbling on two jacks, two bumper jacks, one on the front, one on the back, and all my tires were gone. I would like to tell you that I got on my knees and said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But I grabbed the biggest golf club I had and I ran out with my gym shorts and I started looking for the people that stole my tires. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I had no, I mean, my car's just wobbling. I don't have any rims. I don't have any tires. And so I had to call the church office, and somebody came and got me. And, uh, and, and th thankfully, our youth group was so kind, and the parents in that youth group, they took up an offering, and they bought me some new rims and tires. They were all different colors, but at least they had tires on them. <laughs> I never even told my grandmother. I never even told her. But I'd sit up every night. I went through a, I went through a season where I sat up every night and couldn't sleep, and I was sitting out by that big plate glass window looking from the second story into the parking lot. I had my, my driver in my hand and a hammer in the other one, and my poor wife, she's like, are you going to come to bed? No, I, I'll be in bed in just a little while. I'm just watching. I'm not sure what I would have done if, I show, if the thieves showed up again, but we, I would have done something, and it probably wouldn't have been nice, and it probably wouldn't have been good, and she might have been a widow. <laughs> I struggled with this. I couldn't believe that this disappointment had happened to me. And I remember going to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. If you have, a, if you have an issue dealing with people who are always seeming like they get away with bad behavior and there's never any consequences to their action or somebody has offended you in such a way you ought to just memorize Psalm 37 it set me free I'll read a couple of verses for you do not be agitated by evildoers do not envy those who do wrong verse 7 be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the man who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger. Put away your golf club. I mean, give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Look at, the, look at verse 12 and 13. The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at him because he sees his day is coming. I'm just saying to you, I want you to see that God doesn't get uptight with all of the crazy stuff and the evil that is in the world right now. God is still, God doesn't lose his joy like we lose our joy when bad things happen or when something frustrates you or someone attacks you. God never loses his joy. He's, this is the God that you serve. This is Yahweh. He knows how to handle wrongdoing. He knows how to handle evildoers. He, you don't need God to correct every bad thing in your life that happens. You just need him to keep lavishing his love upon you. And in spite of every bad thing, you know that 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 God loves you. And he is compassionate. And he shows you favor. 
even when it's unexpected and undeserved. Can you say amen? Okay, let's talk theology. Does God punish people for their parents' sins? It's clear that he doesn't judge people for their parents' sins. Ezekiel 18, verse 19. Look at this paragraph, everybody. I'm going to show it to you on the screen. What you ask, doesn't the child pay for the parents' sins? No, for if the child does what is just and right and keeps my decrees, that child will surely live. Now, he's talking about judgment coming upon a wicked nation. The person who sins is the one who will die. The child, who, the child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior. This is God speaking. And wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. But if wicked people turn away from all their sins and begin to obey my decrees and do what is just and right, they will surely live and not die. All their past sins will be forgotten, and they will live because of the righteous things they have done. Verse 23, look, do not think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord. Of course I do not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. This is God giving you an idea of how he handles wicked people. He, he, he's looking for opportunities to forgive, to redeem, to re reconcile, to restore. Some of you think, well, why doesn't God do something? I'll tell you why. Because I don't want them to die. I want them to turn from their wicked ways. Well, how long will God deal with wicked people? And will we pay the price of that? Unfortunately, yes. I mean, think of it this way. Although sins are individually assessed, they impact generations. I'll give you an example from Scripture. The, the children of Israel in the wilderness... Boy, they had so many lessons, and they failed so many. And God was bringing them into the promised land. He's being so patient with them. And they decided to send out 12 spies. Y'all remember this story? So they sent out 12 spies. Ten came back scared out of their wits. Those cities are so big. There's giants live there. They're going to destroy us. There's no way we can even find a little corner in, the, in Canaan for us to live. And they brought back what God says was an evil report. Joshua and Caleb brought back a good report. But the nation believed the evil report. And, and so God enacted judgment upon them and said, because of your unbelief, your rebellious unbelief, you're not going in. And so they didn't, that generation didn't make it in the promised land. Now, they repented, and God still blessed them. God still fed them clothed them. God's presence uh, was abiding with them for 40 years outside of the promised land. They didn't make it in. There were children that were born. There were grandchildren that were affected because they, they too grew up outside of the promise that God had made because their parents defaulted with unbelief, with rebellious unbelief. 
So the consequences of that sin, it showed up into the lives of those children and grandchildren. This is why it's so important for us to do everything we can to obey God, believe God, trust God, so that what we're passing down from our generation to the next generation and the next generation is God's blessing and favor and not consequences from our own actions. Is anybody listening to me? So I want you to see that. Although sins are individually assessed, they impact generations. There, there are things that I deal with now, I know that I deal with as a result of uh, weaknesses in my mother and my father. But God, God gives us fresh start. He doesn't hold those sins against us, and He breaks the curse of sin over our lives so that we can live free. And here's the, here's the great thing. The great thing is that it doesn't matter what obstacles that you are facing. Those obstacles, if they get you on your face where you cry out to God, then those obstacles are turned around and they become the greatest blessings of your life. In fact, that's one of the things that Yahweh specializes in doing. Everything that was meant for destruction and harm, He turns it around for your good, and He gives, gets glory out of it. Hello, everybody. And He reconciles and redeems your family. Is anybody hearing me today? I want, instead of so focusing on the consequences of sinful actions or wrongdoing in three and four generations, can you just see how drastic the contrast is between three generations and thousands of generations? Can 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 you, by faith and a response to God's love, Can you see how the scales are balanced in so much favor that we have with God? I mean, could you read this and see that God often teaches us in the Scripture through contrast? And God is contrasting and says, look, sin may have a little bit of power over you, but I am a God of enormous love. And sin might impact you and your offspring for a little while, but if If you allow me, I will lavish my love upon your children and your children's children and their 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 children's children. And And I don't have time to go through 40,000 years. Hello, everybody. Think about a thousand generations. What God is doing in your life right now, there's coming a day that you'll stand and all of your family tree will be together in heaven and you will be able to discover Look, what the, look at the good things that God has done. No wonder I'm so passionate about worship. No wonder I'm on my face before God. No wonder I'll never turn my back on the Lord because God is a God who, who, who doesn't want to level judgment. He lavishes love for thousands of generations. That's what Yahweh does. That's who Yahweh is. That's who He'll be to you. And my challenge is to you is get free from the bondage of your iniquities and rebellion and sin and realize that Yahweh is looking to forgive you and not, and, and not hold a grudge against you. He who the Son sets free is free indeed, everybody. He's the God of generations. Let's claim this promise of his generational love. 
Some of you might be thinking about your children right now. I just, just surrender them to God. Just give them to God. The, if you have a heart for God, then that heart for God, it matters when God's looking at your children. They still have to respond to the Lord, but I'm just telling you that the God that you love, He loves your family, your kids, your grandkids. Your mother, your father, the, he loves operating in family lines. Psalm 145, verse 3. Yahweh is great and is highly praised. I'm closing with this, everybody. Just tune in with me here. Look, his greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next. Do you see this? This is, this is the instruction to us that I, this generation will declare God's works and His goodness and proclaim His mighty acts to the next generation. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wonderful works. They will, they will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Look what verse 8 says. For the Lord, this is Yahweh, for Yahweh is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and great in faithful, loyal, steadfast, unfailing covenant love. That's who he is. This is what we need to declare to the next generation and to the next generation. Come on, stand with me, everybody. I find it so interesting, especially in the life of Moses. It's like every time that God revealed himself, it seems like Moses just got on his face and just started to worship God. And even when Yahweh is revealing himself, he's like, I'm the God that lavishes love on a thousand generations. But I won't let wrongdoers go unpunished. There are consequences for wrongdoing. But my love overcomes all of the challenges of consequences. It's like, God's got, like God is the most heavenly, greatest heavenly father ever. Everybody, and Moses gets this revelation and he falls on his face. This refrain over and over, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger, great in steadfast love. I wonder if there's anybody in here, maybe even online, and you're like thinking right now that, you know, I haven't seen God that way. And maybe you see, when, when you think of God, you, you always think that you're in trouble with God. And they say, hey, here's what I know about God. He knows how to convict us of sin. And, and I know what the devil loves to do, and he loves to condemn us for our sin. And he always wants to convince you that God's 
angry with you. Well, God's slow to anger. And that God wants to bring you under judgment, but he's compassionate. Like a mother looks at, their, at a child that needs help. That's the way God looks at you. And I just wonder if there's anybody in here that you'd say, you know what, I'm, I, I, I'm away from God, and I want to come home. Would you just bow your heads with me, everybody? I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward. Nobody's going to come stand on the stage. Nobody's going to point you out and all that. But I'm, I'm, I want you to have a moment with God. I want you to catch this revelation that God, that God's love, His covenant love is an initiating love. And God may have started something way back in your family line or maybe, like I said, you're the, you're the beginning of what God is doing in your family. But, but God has initiated love and, he's, and you, you want to respond to that today. If that's you and you say, I just want to come under the protection of God's love and be right with him, and you want me to pray with you, would you just slip a hand up and let me see if there's anybody in here like that? Okay, there's several people that are raising your hand. Thank you. You can, you can put your hands down, you guys. You know, I just see this as a real sacred and holy moment. I think it was a sacred and holy moment whenever God was revealing himself to Moses. He even told him, take your shoes off because you're getting ready to have an encounter with a very holy God at a very sacred moment. And so I appreciate everybody just staying still because in the spirit, I believe the same thing is happening, at least in a measure, where there are people in here that are saying, wow. I'm getting a glimpse of his glory, a glimpse of his love, a picture of his face. If you raise your hand or even not, if you did it, maybe you could just pray with those who did. Why don't we just pray a prayer out loud? Come on, everybody, I'll lead us. Can we all do this in unison together? We'll pray with those. Just say this to God. God, I need you in my life. By faith, I just accept this revelation of your love. I declare it. You love me. You are slow to anger. A God of compassion. A gracious God. So I choose you, God, on this day, I accept this love. I want you in my life. Begin a work. Rekindle what was already there. Carry away my sin. Forgive me of my iniquity. 
You changed my heart. I surrender my life to you. I declare it. I'm, God, I'm yours. And I'm going after you. By the power of the name of Jesus and the work of his cross through the resurrection, I receive new life. And I give you praise for that right now. Everybody, let's praise him right now, would you? We want to help you with some next steps. Those of you that prayed, even if you were online and you did that, you can just go online and just send us a note. It'll come to us, an email will come. And we'll know that we'll be able to reach out to you and help you grow in your relationship with God. If you don't want to do that, you come see me afterwards. I'll be hanging out around here, and I'll be glad to help you and hook you up with somebody. Everybody that made a move towards God, I'm so thankful and and happy for you, and I'm really proud of you. Aren't you happy for all of these folks that made a commitment toward God? One generation commends to the next generation the goodness of God. And the Bible says, and they will joyfully sing. I don't know. We sang a great song about the goodness of God earlier today. And uh, I think, Sean, can we do this? Hey, everybody, can we just celebrate the goodness of Yahweh, our God, today? And we'll, we'll close. Don't leave yet. Let's just celebrate together and then... Sean will release us together, everybody.